Welcome to the Practical Idealist Podcast, aligning what is good with what is possible. I'm your host, Allison Bueller, Director of the Homestead Education Center, and the focus on this show is real change for better health, home, and community. Our little podcast is growing. iTunes emailed us and said, congratulations, you are ranked number 57 on how-to podcasts in the United States. It's exciting to know that our practical knowledge on how to improve our lives and the lives of those around us resonates with people. Please help us to continue to grow by sharing this episode with someone who needs to hear it. Little by little, we can make big change. We know kids are more sedentary than ever before with the onslaught of technology and streaming. The pressure is on to increase test scores, and things like art and music are taking a back seat, and so is recess. On today's show, we'll find out what one mom and teacher is doing to change that. This podcast is a project of the Homestead Education Center, a nonprofit organization located in Starkville, Mississippi. We just celebrated Homestead Day, where we had over 20 speakers and presentations on health, home, and childcare. We were able to video several of the talks and we'll make them available to you on the website soon. You can check those out and all of our online resources at www.thehomesteadcenter.org. Later this week, we'll begin our third book in our online Conscious Living Book Club. We read Conscious Parenting and there's a great summary of that book on last week's podcast. We're finishing up Barefoot and Balanced and now we are about to begin Climate, A New Story, by Charles Eisenstein. You can join us in our member Facebook group. And if you're not a member yet, you can sign up and we'll add you. For as little as the price of a Netflix rental a month, you can keep our programming coming. Go to www.thehomesteadcenter.org and sign up for the membership level that's right for you. We'd like to welcome new members this week, Rainy Rosen, Joseph Diaz, and Paul Luckett. This episode is brought to you by our Keep It Local sponsor, Lydia Quarles, attorney at law. Lydia is a youth court judge and an advocate of women's legal and economic issues, and she supports our programming. You can support her local business by making an appointment to make a will that will ultimately protect your family. And now on with our interview. I spoke with a mom and dad last week who wanted advice about their second grade boy. They wanted to know how we navigated school with two very active boys. Their son had recess last period and was getting in trouble for being unable to stay in his seat. That conversation brought back a flood of emotion for me. It reminded me of when we got a call from our middle child's principal a few years ago saying that he had staged a sit-in over lack of recess. His class went out exactly two times between the end of December and the beginning of February that year. And since he was learning about civil rights, he decided to put that bit of knowledge to work. We were kind of proud of him. Almost 100 parents joined in initially to present a Be Well initiative to our district. It was a comprehensive plan that included extended recess, movement in the classroom, quality physical education, and healthy food in the cafeteria. That plan was exciting and it went exactly nowhere. We were asked politely to join the health policy councils at the schools and the initiative withered quickly. So I was so excited when I saw a story cross my Facebook feed later this last week that said Montgomery County adds additional recess time, test scores increase. I did a little digging and I found mom who started a similar initiative in her district. 
She's also a teacher, and she agreed to tell us how she got it going. Welcome, Lauren. I want you to start by telling us a little about yourself and how you became passionate about kids and movement. So I am a high school teacher, and I have three young boys, age six, five, and three. Um, I also have been a lacrosse player my entire life, a sports player, as well as a coach. And I still play sports, and I'm quite active in general. And so when I, I didn't have any knowledge of what recess or free play looked like until my now older son was a kindergartner last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he, for the first four days um, of school, I um, realized that he didn't go outside for recess at all because the administration had deemed it too hot to go outside. And instead of having recess, they watched movies during recess time. And it truly broke my heart to see my child who was so passionate about learning in his preschool and so passionate about learning at home to come home and say that school is not fun and school is boring and he does not like school, especially coming from a point of view of as, as, a, as a teacher. I did not want to see any of my children say that. Um, when I inquired about you know, why recess was held indoors, it turns out that in my school district, the decision to hold recess indoors and outdoors can vary from school to school. And there's over 130 schools, elementary schools in my district. So that could, you could have schools within a mile apart of each other that decide to have different recesses, whether inside or outside. So I realized quickly that recess was kind of a free for all in my school district. And I kind of started to become passionate about when we have recess, why we have recess, the point of recess and how it can impact learning. And I kind of immersed myself into um, the recess initiative and I did a lot of research. I connected with a lot of doctors. I connected with a lot of um, scholarly articles about how free play can impact our students. And I started this initiative trying to change um, the school district, which was quite difficult at first. Um, It's the 19th largest school district in America. Wow. Um, so it's bigger than most school districts, even bigger than some major cities. Uh, you know, there's over 130, um, I believe there's 136 elementary schools for varying levels of socioeconomic abilities of students. Um, and I realized this would be quite a challenge. But because of my background and because me myself being a teacher as well, I was able to um, convince a lot of people, um, you know, coming at from the viewpoint of a teacher, um, what the type of programs that we could implement that could would not actually add any money to the school budget. Um, you know, with the help of some pretty important people, I was able to get a pilot program started for this fall. And we're going to talk more about that. I want to pick up on a couple of things that you said your research that you did what do we know what do we know about physical activity and how that impacts kids and their development so um back in the early 2000s no child left behind was implemented where schools turned drastically away from play-based learning and very much honed in on academics this is when a, a lot of issues with the arts came about because they started to cut art programs cut sports programs and PE programs. So back before that time, when I was in school, uh, back in the 80s, we had recess twice a day. We had recess three times a day. We had gym every single day. 
But in the 2000s, there became so much of a push to go towards the academic side, especially with the influx of many um, immigrants coming to our country who don't speak English. And there became this big panic on we have to shove, you know, reading and writing down the throats of five-year-olds in order to be successful on the world stage. Uh, now, and that, that's unfortunately been the culture for the past almost 20 years, just recently has been the push that, you know, recess um, can actually help improve scores and improve um, student well-being rather than, you know, any, even academics. So, you know, for the last 20 years, you've had schools that have shied away from recess, looked at recess as being um, almost, you know, unfortunately, when I spoke about this to the teachers union, I was told not even to use the word recess because it's a four-letter word in some schools, yeah. which is, is terrifying. Uh, so, when I then, you know, in the around two, the early you know, 2010, 2015, you start to see more and more scholarly articles. And just recently, you know, big publications like the Washington Post um, picked up. They had a pretty major article um, a couple, uh, last year or the year before that talked about how some doctors are writing prescriptions for play because they realize the importance of play and how that can impact students' social well-being. You know, as a high school teacher, um, I'm seeing, you know, and, and as a coach, in a school that is um, considered a Title I high school, I can see the impact of students who don't get outside enough, who don't have that creativity, you know, to play. And, you know, me begging students to play sports and get involved, go outside in a school of 2,200 students, I can barely field a team, um, 20 girls to play a sport. It's really depressing to see the state. So the research actually shows that not only does um, recess encourage socialization, um, it encourages creativity within the brain, it actually can increase test scores because students can, quote, get their wiggles out, unquote, um, and, and students are able to actually pay attention to teachers a lot more within the classroom. And, you know, they actually see a decrease, or ADH levels, they see a decrease in BMI levels. And a lot of the research that I focused on came from a project called the LINK Project, L-I-I-N-K. Mm -hmm. And the LINK Project started um, by psychiatrists in Texas. And the reason why I followed this project is because I didn't want to look at scores of students who were in very high socioeconomic areas and the impact of their scores um, from recess. I knew that, you know, for a, for a large majority of these students, you, you could do most of anything and their scores might not change. Exactly. But I wanted to look at scores of students who are coming from a very diverse background, essentially to mirror the school the, the schools that my son is, is in and the schools that are in um, our district. So I looked at the LINK project and they work with a lot of schools who have, you know, very diverse schools, large portions of students who are considered ESOL students, um, and they implemented this program. It's a growing program, and they've done now a recent five-year study, and it shows that students' uh, attentive behaviors in the classroom is increasing. The negative behaviors, as in the distracted um, behaviors, is decreasing. And they're all around happiness of the students is increasing. You're not having such a high diagnosis of issues within the mental health realm um, because students are able to, you know, have a chance to get out some of their, you know, some, some of their things that they keep up in their mind during during things like recess. Right. So I really like the LINK project because it focused on schools that were large and also schools that were really socioeconomically diverse. And they're getting results. 
they're getting amazing results. Well, thank um, you for sharing that because I will definitely look into that next. Yes. When I talked with a psychiatrist in charge, I my school district, when I first um, talked about this with them, they what you know, they some of the higher ups were like, what if the scores decrease? What if the scores decrease? What if what if the, t the test scores go down? Because all in all, although our districts care about the well-being of children, the second a uh, test score goes down, a school is flooded with resource tensions and all these you know things to try and, and increase that those those levels. Um, and when I talked with the Link Project, she said that no score no schools scores decrease that were participating in the project. Some scores increase, but it's not like recess had a profound, um, you know, negative impact in anyone's scores. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's important. I mean, test scores are tied to money now and it's, it's districts are under an enormous amount of pressure and I understand that. But at the same time, we need to look at, does it really take away from learning or, or could it possibly even enhance learning? And it sounds like that's what we're finding. Exactly. And that's, you know, in the, with the No Child Left Behind, they were focused primarily on academics. And I think now students, our schools are starting to take a whole child approach. And this is part of it. Yeah. I'm curious to hear how you began because, you know, whenever you're trying to create change in large systems, it's always hard. Can you describe how you started the pilot program and how it works? So I, I was very scared taking this on. You know, I didn't want to be labeled as the crazy parent um, or, or as, you know, the crazy teacher. Essentially, I'm, you know, although I'm a high school teacher, I'm essentially going against my own school system. So I had to find some really strong alliances. I was very lucky that I found um, the former president of the Board of Education. I was in grad school many years ago, and he was one of my professors. So I just shot an email out to him asking him what guidance he could suggest for me in this initiative and he himself has grandsons and he became really involved in my initiative and was able to guide me on the correct steps you know to get change he said first you have to you know talk with the teachers union because the county and this is correctly so they were not going to add any more money to the budget for recess. If they were going to do any type of recess program, it had to, they had to do with what they already had. So and normally recess is monitored by teaching assistants or what we call paraeducators. And there could be 50 students to one paraeducator or even more, and they monitor the lunch and recess because contractually teachers get that time off. But in this case, teachers um, have to monitor the extra recess. And again, that would be a massive cultural change for many teachers, especially if you've been teaching the last 20 years, you might consider recess not part of your job. So I had to get teachers on my side. I was very lucky to have my son's kindergarten teacher at the time already implement a program for extra recess because she fully understands, she's an experienced teacher of um, how kindergartners operate. She already took her students outside for extra recess three, four times a day on top of their normal recess break for 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here, and so on. Um, and so I knew that it was in teachers, elementary school teachers, to be able to, to monitor this. But I first had to get more teachers on my side. So I first went and spoke to the teachers union, and then I had an individual meeting with representatives from all the, teach from the, all the elementary schools. And I came at th this program um, in a way that, you know, I'm a teacher as well, 
I'm a high school teacher, so I might not understand what's happening in elementary school, but this is what the research has shown with recess, and is there an optional way we can incorporate it in schools? And the big thing that teachers like with that is the word option, because teachers never want to be told what to do from someone that might not know their work. Mm -hmm. And myself, as a high school teacher, do not know the workings of elementary school. So when I... Um, talk to them, I said, could we have possibly an optional program where teachers are given the option of taking their students outside for extra recess for up to 30 minutes extra a day on top of the 30 minutes already allocated for, for students um, before or after lunch. And the fact that I used the word optional really inspired teachers to listen That's because again teachers don't want to be told from the top down this is what you have to do and you have to make it work and therefore the movement can or can grow organically in the school so the first year you might have three or four teachers that do it and the next year you might have 10 and the next year you might have 20 and eventually it just might be considered a best practice um, when talking to a lot of teachers they said that mo many of them said they felt that their principal discouraged would discourage that, and if they felt like their principal encouraged extra recess, then they would gladly take their students outside. So I talked with the teachers union, then I went and scheduled a meeting with the local county council members, um, and I was so shocked about how many people were completely on board with this. Mm -hmm. So when I went to go speak with one of our county council members, he is what is part of our educational committee, and he was 100% back this. Again, he himself has children in the school district, and he said that not only is there not enough recess, there's not enough outdoor time that teachers take their kids outside. You know, there needs to be a push from the county um, to encourage outdoor things, such as recess and outdoor lessons. After I spoke with the county council member, using those names, use, saying that I've talked with the teacher union, talked with the county council member, then I went and spoke with the principal's union. Mm -hmm. the president of the principal's union and again he very much agreed that the county needs to you know look at bringing this autonomy back into schools and allow after that i spoke well i spoke to the board of ed um, numerous times um, and they have quick timed three minute you know speeches that you can make and after the third time, they started to listen. And <laughs> I, Good for you. I you went back and back. <laughs> I kept going. You know, it's once a month. Um, I, most Board of Eds have public comment sections. And for the most part, they might hear one person one time and forget about them. But if you keep going back, and if you keep going back dropping names of people that you've talked to, then they start to listen. So all of a sudden, I get a phone call that the superintendent of Montgomery County Public Schools, a, a school district of hundreds of thousands of students, um, stated that yes, the schools are going to, they were going to implement a pilot program for this fall. And I was shocked because I only started this movement in December and I got that phone call in March. And I, and I, I worked tirelessly on it. I also created a Facebook page um, that was able to draw in parents from all over the school district. Another way I was able to get this is I went around, and I still do this, I talked to PTAs from across the county, and parents are powerful. Not only did I talk to parents of specific schools and PTAs, I talked to the county-wide PTA, um, and and from there, I had parents that said, hey, I'm, I'm also a teacher, I agree with you, and hey, my child goes to this school. And the movement just kept growing, the more and more people that I talked to. So when I first talked to the county about this, one of my first meetings, I had one 
you know, county representative that said, I'll be shocked if you find parents that'll support you on this, because in my opinion, parents want the most academics they could get for their child. That's the opposite and, of what we've seen. And exactly. I found the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. I've been to, my last um, um, speech was in a school in Potomac, Maryland, which is one of the richest, um, these are areas of Maryland. And there was a packed house with, you know, probably about 70 different people. And I had tons of, you know, happy responses from parents and questions and parents saying, how can we get this pilot program in my school? And this is coming from a district that the students are incredibly high achieving. So, you know, and I also came at, I, I also told a lot of personal stories. Um, you could have two sides of the spectrum with, with recess, um, with the need for recess. You have, um, you know, one day my, my son had a, um, asked if he can have a friend over to play after school. And my, my husband and I are both high school teachers. We're home every day after school. I said, sure, go right ahead. So I got the contact information for this child. I started texting who I thought was the mother and asked if that child can ride the bus home. She asked if his brother can come with him. So him and his brother rode the bus home with my son. They played all day. We fed them pizza. And I drove them back to their house. When I drove them back to their house, um, I drove them to a basement apartment in an apartment complex that has no um, playground anywhere in sight. And the person who I thought I was, ta I was texting, who I thought was his mother, was actually his 11-year-old sister. Mm. And this 11-year-old sister watches his five, you know, this child, his six-year-old brother, and two siblings in diapers. So if we think that, that these children especially from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, are getting playtime at home. It's just not happening. That's exactly right. And then I talk about the other side um, where you have, um, and this might relate to what you know, some of the parents I was talking to at the Potomac PTA night, is that some students are overscheduled. They, they come home and they have violin and then they have um, you know, this tutor and this tutor, and then they have soccer and this sport. And every day they literally do not get any time for free unstructured play. Mm -hmm. And that in itself can lead to lots of, you know, mental health issues. Um, and it means you're able to reach sides from all over. You're not just, you know, honing in on one side of the arguments. When I first started this, when I first told the principal of the school that my, my children attend that I was interested in this. She was, she's been a principal, I don't blame her, she's been a principal for most of the time under No Child, no child Left Behind. Um, she teaches, you know, she's a principal of a school with a high um, diverse economic background, it's over 50% poverty. And she said, you know, Lauren, you're just doing this for your own children. And I said, I'm not doing this for my children. My children play when they go home. Right. I lock that door and I send them outside and we, they go bike riding and it's a great neighborhood where the children are all playing. I'm not worried about my children. I'm worried about the children of all other spectrums whose parents can't be there when they go home and whose kids don't get any free playtime at all. Right. And so it really reaches all sides of the arguments. Well, I admire your persistence. I think I, <laughs> I'm laughing because in Mississippi, we have, first of all, no teachers unions. Well, we do, but they're oh, very, yeah. uh, they're not very popular. It just makes sense to me as a teacher when I taught, I taught alternative school in an mm. inner city. And the first thing I did was take my kids outside. And then I took them out again before we came back in from lunch. I couldn't deal with them. I couldn't even begin to deal with them educationally until they had burned off some of that energy. Exactly. And so I think yeah. teachers innately understand that, usually. 
And then parents, parents want this for their kids. They really want their kids to, to have movement and to have downtime and to have free time. And so I think it's just a disconnect between what schools think parents want and what they actually do want, because it should take the pressure off schools to say, you know what, if we were going to pull our kids out because of test scores, we would have done it already. Let's focus on something that matters. Exactly. And, you know, and that was the argument I got from the county um, until I, you know, started talking to the PTAs and coming back to the county, especially when I was able to talk to the entire county's PTA representation. The feedback I got from that was absolutely fantastic. And it just proved that there is a big disconnect from schools that aren't really changing with the times and realizing, you know, that all this research is not just going to sit there. Parents are now becoming educated in this topic and, and understanding that, you know, in my opinion, a student should not come home and say, I don't like school. No. As a teacher, that there's, there should be no reason why a child says that. And, you know, for the longest time, it was almost accepted that that was the norm. And, you know, with all these new resources, um, no, especially no elementary school child should come home and say school is boring. I don't like school. And so, you know, if parents are recognizing that, um, they need to speak up and see what things can be done within their own school to change that that ideal, because that's a horrible ideal for the elementary school child to have at such a young age. Yeah. What feedback are you getting on your pilot program so far? So I've spoken to a few schools um, who have started it. The feedback is incredibly positive. Um, One thing I was very worried about is that when the county implemented this pilot program, they did not let it be optional. They said you have to give, you have to double the recess time. The one positive thing that the county said is it's very open-ended, which is very unlike Montgomery County. Montgomery County does like to micromanage everything. But for this one pilot program, they actually left it up to the experts, which is the schools, the staff, the principals, the teachers. And they basically said to these six schools, you guys have this pilot. You do what you want to do with it. You have to increase recess. You know, you have to double it to an hour a day, um, broken up throughout the day. You do what you think works best, and then they're all going to report back to the county um, at the end January. They actually have check-ins. Their first one is in two weeks. They're going to report back to them in January. And using these, the programs that the schools have developed, Montgomery County plans on making one gigantic program that then schools can use for the rest, the rest of the 130 schools. Mm. So knock on wood, it is incredibly successful. Um, and then they will then use use all these programs. One extremely positive thing um, I have come across is one local school, um, you know, got some pushback from teachers, understandably, because it is a cultural change. And um, they basically put it to the grade level teams and said that, you know, grade one, you guys can, can have extra recess between this time and this time. So they're breaking it up to 15 minutes extra in the morning, 15 minutes extra in the afternoon, and then their normal 30 minutes before, and a- before or after lunch. And the teachers decided, why don't we use this to our advantage? So you have one teacher taking out two classes while another teacher stays back and plans or makes copies or sets the rooms up for the next activity. And then the next day, the other teacher takes the students out and that one, the other teacher stays back. So they kind of go back and forth each day. So in reality, it actually makes it for more planning time for the teachers, which in my opinion, it, when they... Um, 
if they decide not to do the pilot, the teachers will miss that incredibly enough, mm-hmm. which I can't. Some schools that um, that presented it to their parents during back to school night, and the parent I had parents email me left and right, just so impressed with schools having. They actually gave parents the recess schedule, and said that you know um, this is when our extra recesses are, this is when our no-, and so they actually made it like a priority, almost as much as. This is our reading curriculum. This is our math curriculum. They said this is our recess curriculum. Oh, and, that's a dream. you know, it was amazing um, to see some, some teachers do that, especially in some of the schools. that The school that I was so impressed with was, was a school that has the highest um, poverty rate um, out of all the schools that were selected. So, to share, and I'm going to share your link to your Facebook page, if you don't mind, because I know parents will mm-hmm. have questions that they want to follow up with. But where yes, do you, where do you, um, what steps would you say to tell parents, teachers, or administrators who want to make this a priority? What would you say to start with? So I think parents should first go to their local, to their school PTAs. Their PTAs consist of their administration, the teachers, and the parents. And I actually um, have a slideshow that very much outlines exactly the benefits for recess. It is, you know, specific to my school district, but parents can take that slideshow. It's a Google slide, mm-hmm. and they can basically plug in their own um, district's information, which I think would be really helpful um, for that. So then they're, they're not having to collect their own research. And when you present it in this specific way that this is what the research shows, and this is what the 19th largest school district is piloting, it'd be pretty tough for a smaller school district to frown upon that um, especially when you have other large school districts that have piloted that are not piloting anymore they actually have implemented double recess for all their school districts but I say start you know start with the PTA but also start speaking to the Board of Ed um, you know have you might not have to have the same speaker each time but always having someone there you know they have generally a meeting once a month that the public can comment and just constantly making comments and then following up your comments a few weeks a few days or a few weeks later um, just constantly following up almost be nicely nagging is what I call myself (laughs) to um, and to where like they they can't forget that the research is there and a lot of districts are focusing you know having these initiatives like a health and wellness initiative I know the initiative for my school district was be well 365 and you know this all fits into that like be well and create free play and creative play um, fits into that realm and so now that we're making the link between increased play and decreased you know issues with mental health and there's such a push for helping students with mental health nowadays you kind of can't deny it so i would recommend starting with their ptas also at the same time going to the board of ed Um, and then you can also you can email anyone within a school system you can find out who is the associate superintendent of your local school and attempting to schedule meetings with them as well Um, I do know that you don't have a teacher's union, but if you're able to get teachers to back you, that would be a massive step. I was able to get a teacher who had traveled to England and spent a Fulbright year in England, and he came back and he said, this, you know, in England, they have recess up to two hours a day, um, broken up throughout the day. And they have actually, yeah. I saw that was what uh, convinced the superintendent that just switched his school district to that. He went to Finland and saw yeah. for himself, and he said, "This is we are way off. We've got to." It's do amazing. Something. I mean, all of Europe have tremendously longer recesses and lunch times, might I add, um, than than we do in America, and their and their scores are 
you know, um, in math are actually exceeding America's. So, so, you know, there could be a lot of arguments comparing America to, to Europe, but they are doing cr the right thing in their school system with allowing these children to play. So, you know, you could Google at any point and find research to back, you know, the recess claim. It's just the fact of, you know, I was, the, I was so shocked that I was able to get so much movement in such a large school district. It's almost like everybody has it on the tip of their tongue. They just need a group of people to make them say it. Um, and I think that, you know, by going to PTAs, by going to the board, by, you know, getting meetings with administrators and getting the more people you find on board, um, the more convincing you can be. I'm so excited that you've been so successful with it. And I hope you've really encouraged parents and let them know concrete steps that they can take to, to get this going in their districts, because it's just so important. Step is at what some um, schools have done is form their own recess committees. Um, for example, like after the whole you know, debacle with the administration of my school not allowing children to go outside because it was too hot. I basically stated I will do anything to make sure that the students are outside as much as possible, um, including providing water jugs, you know, if you think it's too hot for students to go outside, um, and coat drive if you have students that are can't afford coats, and that's the reason why you're afraid to take them out if it's deemed too cold. Um, another thing that I found that districts don't generally have minimum cold requirements, they kind of leave it up to the schools. And so a lot of parents are falsely inf informed that 32 degrees is too cold to take the children outside. That can vary from school to school. You know, we, we, there are studies that show that, you know, if you look at the LINK project, they actually have a heat index and cold index um, measurement to take the children outside. Um, if it was up to me, the children would be outside in any type of weather, <laughs> you know, um, like most of Europe. But, um, but that's a good point, though. There are a lot of things that you can do to help, like our parents at our elementary school volunteer to show up before school to let kids. They 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 volunteered a whole walking club and just recess before school started. Parents did that because the teachers oh, said, amazing. I, "We can't. We're, we're you know we've, we've got to be in the classrooms, you know, greeting kids." And so parents mm -hmm. did that. And then another PTO raised money for a shade cloth, a huge shade cloth because oh, it was wow. too. I mean, it's really hot. We're in Mississippi, but yeah. they they created a you know a place for teachers to be where pe teachers weren't so miserable, so they were more likely to take their kids out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, and that can be an argument from, from teachers like, you know, and staff, it's too hot for them. It's too cold for them. Um, but I, if, if you are able, you know, as, if teachers are able to rotate, they, they would see the benefit of that, um, you know, in their classroom. I know the power as, as a teacher myself, I know the power of a distracted student because the number one argument is where am I going to find the time? We already have to do an hour and a half of reading, an hour and a half of math, but I know the power of a distracted student can ruin a lesson. Mm -hmm. And if you have less distractions, you won't miss, teachers will not miss that 30 minutes. They won't, they won't even notice it's gone because that. they will have less distractions in the classroom. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope that you're, that hearing from you has given some of our listeners a place to start. Let's keep the conversation going and, and let's get some movement on these issues. Thank you so much. Thank you.